0: section sixteen of how to tell a story and other essays by mark twain this librivox recording is in the public domain how to tell a story and other essays by mark twain chapter eleven stirring times in austria part four the historic climax during the whole of november things went from bad to worse the all-important ausgleich remained hard aground and could not be sparred off but Badeni's government could not withdraw the language ordinance and keep its majority, and the opposition could not be placated on easier terms. One night, while the customary pandemonium was crashing and thundering along at its best, a fight broke out. It was a surging, struggling, shoulder-to-shoulder scramble. A great many blows were struck, twice schoenerer lifted one of the heavy ministerial fauteuils, some say with one hand and threatened members of the majority with it but it was wrenched away from him a member hammered wolf over the head with the president's bell and another member choked him a professor was flung down and belabored with fists and choked He held up an open penknife as a defense against the blows. It was snatched from him and flung to a distance. It hit a peaceful Christian socialist who wasn't doing anything and brought blood from his hand. This was the only blood drawn. The men who got hammered and choked looked sound and well next day. The fists and the bell were not properly handled or better results would have been apparent i am quite sure that the fighters were not in earnest on thanksgiving day the sitting was a history-making one on that day the harried bedeviled and despairing government went insane in order to free itself from the thralldom of the opposition it committed this curiously juvenile crime it moved an important change of the rules of the house forbade debate upon the motion put it to a stand-up vote instead of eyes and nose and then gravely claimed that it had been adopted whereas to even the dullest witness if i without immodesty may pretend to that place it was plain that nothing legitimately to be called a vote had been taken at all i think that salt peter never uttered a truer thing than when he said whom the gods would destroy they first make mad evidently the government's mind was tottering when this bald insult to the house was the best way it could contrive for getting out of the frying-pan the episode would have been funny if the matter at stake had been a trifle but in the circumstances it was pathetic the usual storm was raging in the house as usual many of the majority and the most of the minority were standing up to have a better chance to exchange epithets and make other noises into this storm count falkenhayn entered with his paper in his hand and at once there was a rush to get near him and hear him read his motion in a moment he was walled in by listeners. The several clauses of his motion were loudly applauded by these allies, and as loudly disapplauded, if I may invent a word, by such of the opposition as could hear his voice. When he took his seat, the President promptly put the motion. Persons desiring to vote in the affirmative stand up the house was already standing had been standing for an hour and before a third of it had found out what the president had been saying he had proclaimed the adoption of the motion and only a few heard that in fact when that house is legislating you can't tell it from artillery practice you will realize what a happy idea it was to side-track the lawful eyes and nose and substitute a stand-up vote by this fact, that a little later, when a deputation of deputies waited upon the President and asked him if he was actually willing to claim that that measure had been passed, he answered, Yes, and unanimously. It shows that, in effect, the whole house was on its feet when that trick was sprung the lex falkenhayn thus strangely born gave the president power to suspend for three days any deputy who should continue to be disorderly after being called to order twice and it also placed at his disposal such force as might be necessary To make the suspension effective. So the House had a sergeant-at-arms at at last, and a more formidable one as to power than any other legislature in Christendom had ever possessed. The Lex Falkenhayn also gave the House itself authority to suspend members for thirty days. On these terms the Ausgleich could be put through in an hour, apparently. The opposition would have to sit meek and quiet and stop obstructing, or be turned into the street, deputy after deputy, leaving the majority an unvexed field for its work. Certainly, the thing looked well. The government was out of the frying pan at last. It congratulated itself and was almost girlishly happy its stock rose suddenly from less than nothing to a premium it confessed to itself with pride that its lex falkenhayn was a master stroke a work of genius however there were doubters men who were troubled and believed that a great mistake had been made it might be That the opposition was crushed and profitably for the country too but the manner of it the manner of it that was the serious part it could have far-reaching results results whose gravity might transcend all guessing it might be the initial step toward a return to government by force a restoration of the irresponsible methods of obsolete times. There were no vacant seats in the galleries next day. In fact, standing-room outside the building was at a premium. There were crowds there, and a glittering array of helmeted and brass-buttoned police on foot and on horseback to keep them from getting too much excited. No one could guess what was going to happen, but every one felt that something was going to happen, and hoped he might have a chance to see it, or at least get the news of it while it was fresh. At noon the house was empty, for I do not count myself. Half an hour later the two galleries were solidly packed, the floor still empty another half-hour later wolf entered and passed to his place then other deputies began to stream in among them many forms and faces grown familiar of late by one o'clock the membership was present in full force a band of socialists stood grouped against the ministerial desks in the shadow of the presidential tribune it was observable that these official strongholds were now protected against rushes by bolted gates, and that these were in ward of servants wearing the house's livery. Also the removable desk boards had been taken away, and nothing left for disorderly members to slat with. There was a pervading anxious hush at least what stood very well for a hush in that house it was believed by many that the opposition was cowed and that there would be no more obstruction no more noise that was an error presently the president entered by the distant door to the right followed by vice-president fuchs the two took their way down past the polish benches toward the tribune instantly the customary storm of noises burst out and rose higher and higher and wilder and wilder and really seemed to surpass anything that had gone before it in that place the president took his seat and begged for order but no one could hear him his lips moved one could see that he bowed his body forward appealingly and spread his great hands eloquently over his breast one could see that but as concerned his uttered words he probably could not hear them himself below him was that crowd of two dozen socialists glaring up at him shaking their fists at him roaring imprecations and insulting epithets at him this went on for some time suddenly the socialists burst through the gates and stormed up through the ministerial benches and a man in a red cravat reached up and snatched the documents that lay on the president's desk and flung them abroad the next moment he and his allies were struggling and fighting with the half-dozen uniformed servants who were there to protect the new gates. Meantime a detail of Socialists had swarmed up the side steps and overflowed the President and the Vice, and were crowding and shouldering and shoving them out of the place. They crowded them out, and down the steps, and across the House, past the Polish benches, and all about them swarmed hostile Poles and Czechs, who resisted them. One could see fists go up and come down, with other signs and shows of a heady fight. Then the president and the vice disappeared through the doors of entrance, and the victorious socialists turned and marched back, mounted the tribune, flung the president's bell and his remaining papers abroad, and then stood there in a compact little crowd, eleven strong, and held the place as if it were a fortress. Their friends on the floor were in a frenzy of triumph, and manifested it in their deafening way. The whole house was on its feet, amazed and wondering. It was an astonishing situation, and imposingly dramatic. Nobody had looked for this the unexpected had happened. What next? But there can be no next. The play is over. The grand climax is reached. The possibilities are exhausted. Ring down the curtain. Not yet. That distant door opens again, and now we see what history will be talking of five centuries hence a uniformed and helmeted battalion of bronzed and stalwart men marching in double file down the floor of the house a free parliament profaned by an invasion of brute force it was an odious spectacle odious and awful for one moment it was an unbelievable thing a thing beyond all credibility it must be a delusion a dream a nightmare but no it was real pitifully real shamefully real hideously real these sixty policemen had been soldiers and they went at their work with the cold unsentimentality of their trade they ascended the steps of the tribune laid their hands upon the inviolable persons of the representatives of a nation, and dragged and tugged and hauled them down the steps and out at the door, then ranged themselves in stately military array in front of the ministerial estrade, and so stood. It was a tremendous episode, the memory of it, will outlast all the thrones that exist today in the whole history of free parliaments the like of it had been seen but three times before it takes its imposing place among the world's unforgettable things i think that in my lifetime i have not twice seen abiding history made before my eyes but i know that i have seen it once some of the results of this wild freak followed instantly the badeni government came down with a crash there was a popular outbreak or two in vienna there were three or four days of furious rioting in prague followed by the establishing there of martial law the Jews and Germans were harried and plundered, and their houses destroyed. In other Bohemian towns there was rioting, in some cases the Germans being the rioters, in others the Czechs, and in all cases the Jew had to roast, no matter which side he was on. We are well along in December now. It is the 9th m t the new minister president has not been able to patch up a peace among the warring factions of the parliament therefore there is no use in calling it together again for the present public opinion believes that parliamentary government and the constitution are actually threatened with extinction and that the permanency of the monarchy itself is a not absolutely certain thing. Yes, the Lex Falkenhayn was a great invention, and did what was claimed for it. It got the government out of the frying pan. End of Part 4, The Historic Climax, and End of Chapter 11, Stirring Times in Austria